So the context is Pentecostal youth camp. Friend of mine hurts his arm during the day playing football, goes to the camp nurse. She doesn't know what to do with him, so she puts his arm in a sling, sends him on his way. Well, that night, services gets going. All the campers go up front into the altar. They're shouting. They're singing. Another friend of mine leans over to the friend that hurt his arm, and he's like, dude, I believe God wants to heal you tonight. He wants to touch your arm. And my friend's like, yeah, I believe that. Like, he can do that. And my friend's like, no, no, no. I think he wants to do it right now, but you have to have faith. Like, you have to put that faith into action. You need to take off that sling and raise up your arm and just believe that God's going to heal you. My buddy's like, well, all right, I guess. And so he takes off the sling, raises up his arm, and screams out, ah, because his arm was broken. Hey everyone, welcome to season two of Unlearning Youth Group, where the podcast where we take a look at all the things we learned back in youth group. We find the good, we unlearn the bad, and we figure out where the heck we go from here. We haven't met. My name is Jonathan Crone, and I'm joined, as always, by our co-host, Mr. Eric Williams. Eric, go ahead and say hey to the people. What is up? Season two is on the way, and I'm excited. I am too. We wanted to do stuff this summer. We talked about this in the preview episode, but we didn't get to it this summer, so uh, I'm excited for getting this going. But Eric, can you go ahead and tell the people what we're talking about today? Yeah. So, um, I mean, if you haven't followed along or seen our preview episode from season one, uh, you know, we talk about youth group things. I've led youth groups and student ministries and stuff like that. And every single time you've got this youth group deal, you can't have a youth group without some sort of camp or retreat. And so imagine you're in high school, you're 15 years old. It's the last night of camp. Tomorrow you're going to go home. You're going to go back to your life. You're going to go back to the things you've done before. But you've been looking forward to tonight all week. And for those of you who have been to youth camp, you know what I'm talking about, because tonight's going to be amazing. The last the last night of camp is always amazing. There's going to be some sort of party or something like that where some kid is going to be dancing and impressing everybody with their shockingly good dance skills. And you've got a few dollars left to spend at the camp store so you can just get in the sugar high all you want. And if you're lucky, you might even uh, get to spend a little bit of time with that camp crush, you know, to... Uh, maybe hold hands or something like that. Definitely holding hands on that last night. We're holding, we're holding hands. Yeah, that's right. For sure. Maybe we could stand next to him and worship. Uh, but before you get to any of that, there's something that's required on that last night of camp. You have to cry. Everything for the entire time you've been doing has been leading up to this final night, this one time where the tension, the speaker has been building and it's finally going to be released and you can dedicate or rededicate your life to Jesus. You can, you know, write down on the thing and nail it to the cross. You can do all the other break the glass or whatever other sermon illustration your speaker had you do. You repent of all the things you've been doing, especially all the things you've been doing the previous five nights of camp and apologize to those friends that you got a little bit of drama with. And uh, if you're Pentecostal, well, there might be some other things involved too. You're rededicating your life. You're you're running around. You're you're yeah. I was Pentecostal, so it is what it is. Yeah. So cry night, Jonathan. Tell me about cry night and your uh, your experience with cry night. Cry night when I was in youth group was always a a big deal. I remember a story. I was probably in sixth grade at church camp, and um, it was the Thursday night because we left on Friday, so cry mm-hmm. night was Thursday night. 
Yep. And we always wore our best clothes that night. So I remember all the girls <laughs> were dressed up, all, all of that was going on. And um, at this camp that I was at, the guy's dorm was up here on a hill. Girl's dorm was over here. And then um, I realized no one can see me right now, but I'm, I'm doing hand motions. Basically, the guys could see the girls walking to the the worship area from our our dorm. And this night, I've been trying to talk to this girl named Danielle all week. I was scared to talk to her. I, I, I just couldn't get the guts up. But I put my khakis on that night. I had my polo on. I was ready to go. And it was raining. And... <laughs> I still laugh at this. And so to get to the the worship area, I could either walk down a little road and a sidewalk, kind of an L shape to get there. Mm-hmm. Or as I was taught in math class, the shortest distance to a point is a straight line. Yep. So I could go from the dorm down this little grass hill and directly into the worship area. Uh-oh. But it was raining. Yeah. And so I took off in sixth grade. For some reason, I don't know if you were like this too. You weren't cool if you held an umbrella or it didn't feel manly if you wore an umbrella. So um, I refused to use an umbrella. So I was like, you know what? I'm running. I'm taking off. Mm -hmm. And so I run. I'm going and I hit the hill. I run down the hill. And right as my foot hits the bottom of the hill, I hear my counselor yell, don't run through the grass. I hit the bottom of the hill, come up feet above my head and land in a giant mud puddle only to look over and see all the girls, including Danielle standing there under their umbrellas, watching me do this. Oh man. So, uh, I cried that night for a different reason. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there is, there is that too. Yeah. Cry nights, man. I mean, they're just so, so interesting. You know, one of the, I mean, one of my favorite things about leading, student ministry was planning our, our camps. I mean, we, our camps and retreats and, you know, we had a, a big middle school, junior high camp, six incoming sixth graders through outgoing eighth graders. So basically sixth through ninth grade. And it was a week every summer and same thing, you know, Thursday night, that was uh, programming the thing. We built it up. So that way Thursday would be the night. And I just remember, um, the weird dichotomy too, of like, we're going to plan it to be, this big emotional night where we pull out all the stops, we get our best speaker. That's going to give the, 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 I don't know, the, the most obvious gospel presentation. There's going to be some sort of sermon illustration. We're going to break something or nail something to something or use bleach on something to clear out something. But we also mixed it with like the disco night most years. So like it would be cry night. And then once that was over, it was like, all right, let's have a worship concert and do three hours of just Hillsong Young and Free and, you know, whatever else and just pump it up. And so just like you were saying, everybody dressed up. Well, we had people like dress up in like neon outfits and they had they were wearing all these outlandish things. And so it was such a weird thing to see uh, a gospel presentation. And then just like sixth and seventh graders just crying and giving their lives to Christ in neon highlighter print with all the highlighters drawn all over them and stuff like that. It's just cry nights, man. They're it's, it's something you don't understand unless you've been to a, to a a youth camp. I think we would, when I was leading ministry, we would do the dance party afterwards, but it was, it wasn't like spiritual dance party. It was, we're going to play pop music and Uh everyone's just going to jump around and dance. So it was actually like, so we would have cry night and then go back to dorms or whatever and kind of do the small group thing. And then we would come back and have the dance party where it was like, yeah. we just released all the emotions. Now right. let's all just go have fun. 
Well, and I remember too, like what would happen is you just finished it. And because there were still kids that were, you know, emotionally just overwhelmed, they would be outside in group, in little huddles and in little groups of two or three, just crying while, while there's just, just going on inside of the, the worship space. And so it's just such a, a weird mix of, of things like that. But yeah, so, uh, cry night it's it, it, but it's something that it happens at every camp. And even like when we would do weekend retreats with high schoolers, you knew you would build up that Saturday night's their, cry night. Yeah. They get their Friday night, Saturday is Saturday morning, something practical Saturday afternoon. You have a bunch of fun. Then Saturday night is like, what's your deepest, darkest sin. And how can we just talk about how much Jesus loves you to the point that you can't possibly do anything but cry. Yeah, it became a formula that like when you're planning a retreat or planning a camp, the reason we did them is because they worked. Right. Uh, at least they they created an emotional response. Sure. Whether though that lasted in a lifelong relationship with Jesus is a different topic for a different day. Sure. But they accomplished what we were going for on those nights when we did them. So if you're new with the show, one of the things we try to do every episode is... We intro the, the topic, we f- talk about what was bad and where we went wrong. Then we find the good, we find what was good about that approach, even because there's always good, even in things that turn out bad. And then we figure out where the heck we go from here. So we've, we've intro the topic. You, you guys understand what Cry Night is all about at this point. But Eric, what was wrong with Cry Night? Where did we go wrong and what was bad about it? Well, yeah, I, and I know that that uh, you know you put together a great piece uh, for another publication to talk about cry nights and some of those things. But you know specifically, there there are a couple of things that are wrong with cry night. And I think the one major piece is that it's it kind of sets your expectations up for something that's not achievable as an adult. So especially from sixth grade through, you know, we'll say college ministry, even into young adult ministry, like passion and some of these other conferences and some things like that. It's like, you're always chasing that next spiritual high, that mountaintop experience that, you know, uh, the, the, uh, glory of the Lord radiating on your face type of mentality of that thing that just honestly at 38 years old, that those moments are not frequent for me now. And so if your faith is based on those experiences and then all of a sudden they're taken away from, or not taken away from you, but they're just not as you don't have the opportunity like you, like you did in high school, but now as an adult, it really puts you in a, in a really crisis of faith. What do you think? So one of my favorite books is um, called my imaginary Jesus by yeah. Matt something or another. I forget how to say his last name. Um, but it's an acid trip of a book that um, completely confused me the first time I ever read it. Because in the first scene, you get you get Matt, this this main character. I didn't realize it was fiction at first. That was my right. problem. Right. I thought it was going to be some nonfiction type of like ministry book, but no, it's nonfiction. And it, but it starts off with the main character sitting there at a at a table, sitting next to a guy or across from a guy named Pete, and then Jesus walks in, and Jesus sees Pete, and Pete punches him in the face. And I'm like, what the heck is going like, this is Jesus, Pete punching Jesus. Why is Pete punching Jesus? But the whole idea of the book, um, it's really fun because it, it tears around the idea of these imaginary Jesuses that we build mm-hmm. and yeah. um, all the imaginary Jesus. So when I think through stuff, uh, just in my personal walk with Jesus, I, I try to ask the question, am I making an imaginary Jesus here? And Cry Nights set up the idea of mountaintop Jesus. 
Mm-hmm. Um, we became great followers of Mountaintop Jesus. And we, but the problem with Mountaintop Jesus, as fun as Mountaintop Jesus is, as great of a feeling as Mountaintop Jesus is, we have to climb the mountain to get there. We mm-hmm. have to go through Crinites to get to him. And so setting up Crinites where we only worship Mountaintop Jesus, um, that's not sustainable. We can't climb the mountain every day. And right. honestly, as a 34-year-old, you mentioned how old you were. Like, I find Jesus in the mundane now right. so much more than I do on the mountaintop. Yep. And so I think it set us up for a relationship with Jesus that, A, wasn't as healthy, but it wasn't as fulfilling either. Right. Because when we seek after mountaintop Jesus, um, our faith isn't daily anymore. A daily walk with Jesus is sometimes just that mundane long marathon of small decisions of saying yes to whatever God invites us to next. Uh, but when we chase mountaintop Jesus, it's a life of just constant hikes every single day to be with mountaintop Jesus. And all of our big decisions to follow Jesus are based on emotional responses at that point. It's mm-hmm. not day to day following what Jesus calls to do. It's how do I feel and will I follow Jesus based on that? It's a lot like marriage and that honeymoon phase is great. Honeymoon phase is easy, but uh, you get a decade into it. And if you're only chasing those romantic highs, you're not going to be very successful. Yep. Yeah, no, and I and I think that this is a great example of like one of the reasons why, you know, why there's so many allegories or or so many ties to Jesus um being the bridegroom and the church being the bride of Christ and like there is this sense that marriage is this relationship that mirrors our relationship or the church's relationship with Jesus and you know you na- you nailed it on the head is like you think about it that's not the sustainability of the honeymoon mindset in your marriage is just not there. And so I love what you said about finding Jesus in the mundane, because it's the same thing that I think about like my wife, right? You know, there's, there are just things and moments where I'm looking, I'm going, wow, I really love her for, and it's, it's not something that's super amazing and, and honeymoon esque, or like you were when you were first dating, you realize the longer you're in a marriage, the more you appreciate about your spouse, well, the longer you're in a good marriage, the more you appreciate yeah. about your spouse um, in the little things. And I think that's the same same thing that we're talking about here. It's like you have this bad expectation. The other thing that I think it sets up is it, it, it sets up something that you'll never be able to live up to. And so you start to maybe vilify your experiences. And so how many people now in their 30s or even right after college uh, you go church to church to church because you can't find either the preaching or the the worship that gives you that same experience. And honestly, if you're honest with yourself, like it's it's good to find what you identify with. We've talked about that on other on other episodes. But if you're seeking after something that you're never going to find, you're seeking after that that one night that the uh, that your youth group put all their money, time, and energy behind creating this emotional experience. Like you're not going to find that every single week on a Sunday. And that might leave you feeling um, dissatisfied with your church, with your worship experience. And I, I would probably say there's there's a lot of people who are 25 to 45 right now that don't attend church regularly. And part of it, 
is because that they're not getting that same experience that they had when they were in high school or junior high. And I think that the, I'm not trying to put people on the spot. I'm not trying to degrade the church. So please don't Mm -hmm. hear me hear that when I say this, I think there's a current trend in church with elevation worship with Maverick city, with some of these more charismatic worship trends that we're chasing this feeling of, well, the Holy Spirit's in the room. And right. I, I bet you that was so powerful when they recorded that. And I'm not discounting it because I've been in those rooms and I think yep. it does exist. Right. So I don't want to act like it doesn't. But when the only example we have of following Jesus is that intense, like in the moment, like mm-hmm. all you got emotion driven worship to music, you can't keep that going. For example, my dad got diagnosed with cancer this summer. Hmm. That it's terminal cancer too, so it's it's like we don't come back from that. Eventually, right? Um, unfortunately, we're going to bury my dad from it. Hmm. But if my relationship with Jesus was based solely on mountaintop Jesus, there's no way I would have been able to find him in that diagnosis. Yeah. There's no way I could have worshipped Jesus through that if I was only worshiping Cry Night Jesus. The fact that I've been able to work through that and I have an everyday relationship with the mundane Jesus or the everyday Jesus, then I was able to find some some hope and some grace and some Jesus in that diagnosis. But there's no way I ever would have found that if mountaintop Jesus was who I was following. Yeah. And, and I think looking at it from the other side, because like, again, I, for long time, long time listeners of the show, they know, like I wasn't really in youth group. I'd more led it. And so from the leadership side, we end up manufacturing these situations and, you know, I play drums. So I, I know what it's like to be on stage, to be in the worship and like week in and week out. If you're at a mega church that has three services, that has five services, that has seven services a day, trying to recreate that moment every single service becomes manufactured and fake. And think about what that does to the people on stage. Think about what it does to your heart as you're planning these things, trying to chase after, okay, guys, we know Thursday's coming. This is the cry night. This is when we're going to get all the hands and all the decisions and all the stuff. And now we start dictating life change. And we start doing that instead of saying, hey, we're going to create the environment that we believe the Holy Spirit is going to work through. Um, and we, you know, we want to steward well the resources we have for the Holy Spirit to move. No, instead we're like, no, we've got to force the issue. And if the worship leaders aren't on their knees while they're singing and they're not, you know, crying crocodile tears, it's not real. It's not authentic. And so that becomes dangerous from the other side as well. And I, I was on the other end, I was in production. So yeah. I knew how to, if I wanted to manipulate a room, based on lighting mm-hmm. and we could build it back up. We can go super bright or we can bring it back down, be super yep. intimate. But we, we, we kind of dogged on crying night at this point. We, yep. We've talked about all the bad stuff, but we don't want to be a podcast where we're just talking about the bad stuff. We right. don't want to just tear the church down and that we do want to find the good so that we can figure out where to go next. So with cry nights, um, what was there anything we got right? What, where was the good intention that was underlying of those. Oh yeah. Well, let me, let me start here. I don't think the first, the first person that, um, you know, there, there was no youth leader somewhere that said, you know, we should do a cry night. I think it happened. And then we tried to recreate it. And so, you know, the whole piece of being at church camp is, you know, you're, you're, you're telling these parents, 
trust us to take your kids away for a week or a weekend. That way you could be removed from the things that you face in normal life. That way you can be in a different scenario, in a different situation. You know, you can be in some of these other spots so that you could be more emotionally vulnerable so that you can um, maybe receive the truth a little bit differently so that you can evaluate some of the things in your lives a little bit differently. And so, you know, whereas the Cry Night might have been the only night that some of your students have openly have openly expressed that type of emotion all year long. So I would or say or their entire life. Or yeah, or their entire life, right? You know, so that's that's something too that I would say is is very very good about it. Um the other thing is, you know, emotions lead to life change. Usually we don't like to change as human beings unless there's something that says what we're doing now um, is is worse than the pain of changing. And when you have strong emotional times, that's when you're most open to making different kinds of life change. Now, we've already talked about does that create sustainable life change? Not always, but creating those environments where you actually break down barriers, you actually break down some of those defenses uh, because you're allowed to feel these emotions rather than bottling them up, rather than you know any other time where we just appeal to the intellect. Yes, you have to appeal to someone's intellect, but you also have to make an emotional appeal in order to get people to really you know, uh, buy in and really internalize what's being talked about. And I would say we have to, before we can teach kids about that mundane, everyday Jesus, we have to first introduce them to Jesus in general. And so those emotions and separating kids from the day-to-day and getting away, that does open you up to a way to experience Jesus in a way you never have before. So I think from a from a starting point, cry nights are a great starting point. Yeah. They 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 get everything else to go away. And okay, that that's where it is. We wash it all away, but it can't be where we end. Right. And I think uh, as, as we think through moving forward, as we think through what is here, I don't think cry nights are bad. Like if I was planning a retreat tomorrow, I would probably have a cry night there. Like just oh, the yeah. way that, that um, I wouldn't call it a cry night, but um, as I think through writing a series of teaching uh, or a weekend, there's always that pivotal moment where we have to call people to change. And that usually happens yes. in an emotionally driven response. However, mm-hmm. that can't be where we end. That can be where we start, yeah. but it can't be where we end because if we end there, then we miss we miss Jesus throughout the time. And I mean, you, you think even scripturally where Paul says, when I was a kid, I thought like a kid. Now that I'm older, I think like an adult. Um, that's kind of where we have to go. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a matter of, yes, getting away is good. Jesus got away. He, he set time apart to spend with him and the father. So that is good. Um, creating tension and calling people to a decision because their life literally depends on it. That's a good thing. But we can't base everything in our discipleship and our walk with Jesus on those emotional decisions. Yeah, I I think the, uh, you know, we talked about a marriage analogy. I think for me, this is like a vacation analogy. If you've got kids, um, you understand what I'm talking about, where it's like, should you take vacations? Yes. 
Um, should you create memories? Yes. But man, if I set my kids up, like we went over the summer, we went to uh, an all-inclusive in Mexico. Could you imagine if I set their expectations for all of our family interactions to be at an all-inclusive resort in Mexico? Like they first, they, that, that would, that would ruin them on, on the flip side. If as a, if as a parent, you never um, give your kids fun experiences with you, that will also ruin them too. Or at least we'll just say that won't create the same type of uh, family tie that you have. And so I think of these cry nights as more of like a vacation type of experience that you do once, twice a year, and you know that that's not regular. I I mean, my kids know they're not going to wake up and have an all-you-can-eat buffet every... I mean, it seems like it the way we spend money. But you know, it's like they're not going to wake up thinking they can have an all-you-can-eat buffet every single day. But at the same time, boy... Don't you think that those are the memories that you keep pointing back to with your family and you say, man, remember when we did this? Remember when we did that? And so now as adults, I mean, I still get students who are adults now that will say that night that we had where you said this or where this thing happened, that was the night that changed my life or that was my favorite. That was the night I remember. So they become like the best sessions, the best nights, the best talks that they remember Um, but again, it's not just that it's all of the other experiences that they had that built into it as well. So we are adults now. Mm -hmm. I don't think we have any teenagers listening to this. If we do, Hey, thanks for joining along. But it's as we, as we move forward, as we think about our own relationships with Jesus, as we think about our kids relationship with Jesus, or if we are now youth leaders as well, it's time for us to settle into the daily the, the stillness of a lifelong journey with Jesus and not just an adrenaline soaked hike up a mountain for mountaintop Jesus, because right. ultimately real life doesn't look like an elevation worship video where we're just passionately and expressively running at Jesus at full speed. No one can run at Jesus full speed, full time. We're going to get worn out. We're going to get burnt out. If we chase that high a hundred percent of the time, not only are we going to get burnt out and probably end up, questioning our, our faith and our relationship, but we're also going to miss out on the beauties of those intimate, like lifelong things that happen in the stillness in the, I mean, I was at the gym earlier this week after my workout had headphones in was stretching and just laying on my back, stretching my hamstrings. And I had this nice little intimate moment with Jesus where I felt like he was speaking to me and I was praying and, in the middle of a gym that's playing crappy eighties rock music and I'm sweating and all this stuff. But that's, that's the everyday mundane Jesus that we, that we need to find. Jesus is not mundane, but you get what I'm saying when I say that, but we miss out on those if all we're chasing is the mountaintop. Yeah. And I think it, it comes back to your, you know, your, your story relating it personally to your dad. I mean, my, my mom just recently passed from cancer. She went through 16, 16 months of it. And I think about like, think about how crazy it would be to expect mountaintop Jesus in that moment. You know, what, however the announcement happened for your family. I mean, I remember I was on FaceTime with my, with my mom and my dad, cause they were in a different state at the time. And, uh, you know, imagine if it's like, okay, they give you the announcement. And then all of a sudden they go, and you know what? 
we're we're gonna bring up we're gonna bring up the band and then like music starts playing <laughs> right you know like it's terminal Jonathan and then all of a sudden it's like you know that God's not dead surely alive and he's living on the inside <laughs> you know or it's like in heaven mid earth everywhere and you're just like what what on earth like that just wouldn't make sense and it's not it's not appropriate Jesus for the moment and I think that's what you see. In the Bible, sorry, with with Jesus's reactions to things, it's like that he gets the announcement from the messengers that his best one of his best friends Lazarus was dead, and he weeps. You know what I mean? He he doesn't take the time to go. Okay, let's go on the mountaintop over there and let's have a sermon, right? Like no, he he figures out what's right for the moment for what's needed, and I think that that's exactly what. Uh, cry nights are great at, but they're also something that we need to keep in mind is that, hey, there's times where that diagnosis happens and then you hear the best words ever, remission. And it's like, yes, should we be weeping and praising Jesus and shouting from the mountaintops? Yes, of course, right? There are things that happen in your life that you're doing that, but there are other times where it's like someone gives you news and your best answer is not to go, well, you know what? Uh, God works all things for the best, you know, glory of those who uh, who love him. It's like, no, 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 no. It's it's best to have a moment where you could sit with people. And so really understanding where and when those reactions are appropriate. Cry night, show us what elation looks like and what a glimpse of heaven probably looks like. At the same time, as adults, we need to know how to live with Jesus every day. And I think that is a great place for us to stop this week. Eric, uh, can you tell the people what we're talking about next week? Ooh, okay. So we we ragged on worship a little bit this week. Uh, next week, we're going to talk through some of our youth leaders, going to talk through some of our pastors, and uh, specifically the types of culture that's created when... Um, I bet you all kind of knew, like, what was the main thing in your youth group or the main thing in your church that the they always sin. talked about? Yeah. What was that signature sin that you knew wasn't okay and what other sins were kind of like, eh, we don't really care about. So if you have a, a story about that, make sure you send that to us, but tune in uh, for the next episode as we talk about some of that sin projection coming from uh, our leadership. That's it for us this week. Uh, we'd love to hang out with you on social I am at Jonathan underscore Carone on Instagram. Eric, you are Eric, Eric W712. Eric W712 on Instagram. We're both on TikTok too, um, but I don't know. I'm, I feel old promoting that um, because I'm 34 and yeah, that's weird. But that's it for this week. Uh, thanks for hanging out with us and we will see you next week.